Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. And Amanda is melting. Guys, I, why I'm have you created me? me? Why did you create me? <laughs> Amanda is. Going through her last menstrual cycle before, before the, wedding. the wedding. It's about to start. <laughs> Two weeks from today, baby. Today, as the crow flies. <laughs> so I need, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I need this fucking gusher to pop by like noon tomorrow. So I know that I am completely clear. Mm-hmm. To finally consummate this marriage. We've been and waiting. you'll be ovulating. God. Yikes. <laughs> Well, never mind. No sex on wedding night. Definitely not. Fucking yikes. Sex I mean, on your I'm, wedding night is for people under 27 years old. People who've never had sex before. And yeah. people who don't drink. Yeah. I mean, Bill doesn't drink. He will be capable of having sex on our wedding right. night. I'm the one who will no. be way too hammered. He'll no. be asleep when I'm still at the casino at 2 a.m. Yeah. There's no novelty to it. None. No, Zach tried to float that idea, and I laughed in his <laughs> face. <laughs> and then because we, we were in we the were bed in with bed. you. <laughs> you know, I was like, ah, Lucy and Amanda or not Courtney, I guess. Lucy Amanda and Scott are crawling into this bed right now, so can we, you we're make drinking room? Wine. <laughs> we're drinking wine in your bed till like 3 a.m. In your marital bed. bed. In your marital bed. <laughs> I know, and he was like, okay. Guess I'll go hang out with my friends. <laughs> I'll sit, I'll sit uh, what on did the you living room couch? Yeah, LOL, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, dude. Uh, yeah, marital bliss. Yeah, Corey and I watched <laughs> co- Corey and I watched cops in our hotel room and went to bed. <laughs> That'll total. We will watch Forensic Files to fall asleep oh, on yeah. our wedding night for sure. Oh, yeah. First thing mm-hmm. I'm doing when I check in is checking out which station hln is on so i can oh, text yeah. you Our guys so you'll chat. be ready that's, for when you come up the tradition when yep. you check into a hotel room i FF got 62 <laughs> <laughs> that is totally what we do blindside 14 <laughs> it's the Josh one with Hank. the dog hair turn it on <laughs> the blindside is always on it is the, like, sitting in a nondescript cold cold hotel room cheap cold hotel room mm-hmm. with <laughs> the really remote starchy bed sheets. Mm. Yeah. The remote still in the plastic. In the plastic <laughs> and it has the the button, the back and forth channel button. Previous. God bless that Preve. button. Yep. And you just have what? You go to forensic files first, then you and find the blind, the blind side. side and then you go back and forth between those two. That's how you, if you're not oh. doing that at a hotel, you're not doing it right. You're not living. That's life. That's life. Anyway, okay. I'm no. Amanda and wow. I'm dying. Yeah, I'm Kenyan. I think I might have said that. I don't know. I'm Probably Lucy. Not. Yeah. Nothing changed. We went out of order. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> this week we have a very special gals pick. Yeah. Hog Girl Summer continues. Hog Girl Summer! 
And we felt it, it had been a while since we did uh, a really good forensics episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. are always some of the best, I think. So fun. Mama needs her juice. (laughs) Okay. So we have selected the topic of forensic toxicology. Mm. Tox screening, which Mm. actually reminds me that I (laughs) need to allegedly, (laughs) allegedly eat a gummy. Oh, I was like, where is this going? (laughs) Oh, happy day, Minnesota. Well, yeah, we we uh, pa- ha- celebrated Legalization Day on the 1st of August. Yeah. Mm. It is a great time. Uh, <laughs> I've been celebrating privately for years. <laughs> <laughs> but it felt felt really good I'm to glad know. Glad to see your beliefs have been recognized publicly. Truly, I feel truly recognized by the state. And now when I smoke a joint in my front yard, nobody can legally do fuck all about it. Great. So that's pretty great. Mm-hmm. I got a phone call from she who shall not be named. You guys know exactly who this is. <laughs> who said, <laughs> she called me from the car and I was like, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, I'm just driving to St. Louis Park. I had to call around and see who had like drinkable THC beverages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love how much she's getting after it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's the stuff. Such a little pothead now. It's so funny. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) I'm definitely going to enjoy that with that specific person on someone's wedding day. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of uh, libations and substances, Amanda, what is our wine crime pairing for forensic toxicology? Yes. Well, I personally am not drinking because, like I said, I'm fighting off a freaking menstrual migraine. So I have water and a protein shake. I don't know. I'm falling <laughs> that apart. That sounds horrible. It is horrible. But I also it's like a gross combo. I know. Yeah. But I woke up with this really gross headache you and I couldn't. Caffeine. I know. But co- I only have coffee forms of caffeine right now at my disposal. And my stomach's not feeling the best. Because of my fucking period. So I just like knew I needed to eat something, get something in my system, but I'm not that hungry. I'm just, it's the most menstrually menstrual day without anything actually flowing yet. It's just driving me crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I took it because that does have a little caffeine in it. Yeah. So that's helping. And my head feels mostly fine. I'm just like a little cloudy. You just stuffed up. Yeah, I just, all of everything is excreting. To prepare for excretion. Okay. But I have a recommended wine pairing. And we have paired a version of this before many, many, many moons ago. I think Mm -hmm. I even remember the photo of this wine having little Burke, the puppy, in the background of it. Oh, Birkenstocks. Burkles. But uh, we are pairing the poison, like Zinfandel, but mm-hmm. we're doing the sparkling rosé because they added like a brute rosé to love. their lineup. I Yum. love a sparkling rosé. Yeah, know. I do too. I'm so mm-hmm. excited. You are a sparkling rosé in human form. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Thank you. Me? I was talking to Kenyon. But... Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Amanda's a hard Mountain Dew in human form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> 
So this <laughs> wine is a beautiful peachy rose petal pink. has aromas of strawberries and raspberries. So it's like that nice light fruit. Um, and then it has a nice like silky effervescence, a dry finish like those. You're going to get a little bit of that sweetness on the front end. And then it's just get a clear right out with this nice clean finish. And it sounds fucking amazing. It's 96% Pinot Noir. And then they de- threw in a little bit of Chardonnay, which is kind of a surprising blend, but I'm mm. very excited about it. It's a very small amount. So I'm definitely going to get it. They have it at Total Wine. So I looked that up so I could access this at a later date because it mm. sounds really fun. But for now, I'm just going to toast myself with my disgusting beverages. Nice. Total yeah. Wine should have like an like an app where you can build like kind of like a, a wish, wish list, list kind of like a mood mm. board. Save for later, like a grocery list almost. Shopping list. Yeah, but also just but like fun. a mood the, board. A is vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like plan out like this would be my barbecue shopping list. This would be my boating summer day shopping list. Yeah, Trademark, like, total wine, get at us. Like colors and patterns are incorporated into yeah. the app. You know Cute. what I mean? A little Pinterest yeah. moment. Yeah. That would be adorable. I, I would like use that. the shit out of that. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking um, this San Pellegrino. Uh, I, I don't know. This is Spanish or maybe Italian. I think it's Italian. Italian. I don't know. What... Are they hard seltzers? That looks no. like pomegranate and lemon. It's just lemon. sparkling. Looks sparkling really orange yummy. and pomegranate. That's Yum. what it is. And um, it's fucking delicious. It's, it's very sugary, but it's delicious those are so fucking good i'm drinking my red juice but i've mixed it up a little from my childhood it is the ocean spray cran Raz classic Mm -hmm. but instead of regular bubble water non-flavored cherry flavored bubbly okay delicious okay mocktail (laughs) little prego Mm -hmm. get it all right well cheers everyone a chills and uh lucy what is our background and maybe but probably not psych for forensic toxicology shake it shake it shake it shake it shake it shake it shake shake it (laughs) no psych shake it like a thingy of bones yeah (laughs) <laughs> Shake it like a jaw of goat bones. <laughs> According to the National Institute of Justice, forensic toxicology is the analysis of biological samples for the presence of toxins, including drugs. Mm, they made drugs. They made drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I know that we're like five years late on this, but <laughs> Zach and I were driving back from uh, his parents' place in upstate New York. So it's like a 12 hour drive and we needed to have a podcast to listen to. And so we listened to finally the thing about Pam. Yes. yes! This was your first time yes. listening. It's so good. It's so good. Didn't you love it? <laughs> yes. And is it Keith Morrison? Keith Richard, real? He had never heard Keith Morrison's voice what? before. So what? he was Zach. like losing his shit. He hasn't lived. They so made now love. Zach, so now Zach is saying they made love <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it's great. That's it's, the thing about Pat. I'm gonna re-listen. I'm gonna re-listen to it. Yeah. It's so I've listened to it. 
six times. <laughs> it's really good. Didn't we listen obsessed. to it on our merch road trip, Amanda? Yes, and that was maybe my fourth or fifth time listening to it, and I've listened to it at least once through since then. Yeah. It's at like what I like put on midnight. when I get on an airplane. I like snuggle into my seat. <laughs> or you listen Keith. to the thing about <laughs> Listen to the thing about Pam. Yeah. Order an airplane, Bloody Mary. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. It's my routine. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so I just wanted to share that with you guys because I'm over fun. fucking joined. It's about <laughs> goddamn time. They made love. love. <laughs> okay. So this testing, this analysis is done with biological samples such as blood, urine, or tissue. <laughs> the toxicology report can provide critical information such as the type of substances present. Are you okay? I choked on my water and then I coughed so hard a little pee came out. <laughs> You're having a time. Okay, well that was it's been a great app, folks. Special thanks. <laughs> Oh, god. my God. We're professionals. <laughs> then a little pee came out. Oh, oh my God. Okay. It's not, it wouldn't even warrant a wipe. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. The toxicology report can provide critical information such as type of substances present in a person and whether or not the amount present is consistent with therapeutic dosages or is above a harmful level. So they can... See, if you're on drugs and if you're on drugs to the point where it's going to fuck you XYZ up, XYZ would happen. Mm-hmm. The toxicology report can infer or determine a substance's potential effects on the person's death, illness, or mental or physical impairment. According to Wisconsin's DOJ, Ugh. forensic toxicology applies discipline to matters of the law. So it's used in courts to assist in reaching verdicts. So, for example, a forensic toxicologist could be an expert witness, for example, to cast doubt on the results of a breathalyzer test. Oh. Which determined the, as we all know, a breathalyzer test is like a field test that determines average blood alcohol levels using relatively inexpensive machinery. We don't know when the last time that thing was calibrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, it also can't be retaken. Yeah. So it's like really not scientific. Why? Because because the it changes. alcohol would be out of your system. and. Oh, I mean, like on the spot, it can't be retaken? I mean, yeah, but the results could be different. And then 20 minutes later, it's going to be different. 20 minutes mm-hmm. after that, it's going to be different. They're right? just really inconsistent. So mm-hmm, retaking right. it is not. So if you're close to the line, it could be be a really big difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So thereby making making those kinds of cases a lot easier to punch holes in than, for example, a blood test, mm-hmm. which is a lot more exact, and you can take multiple samples from one blood draw to mm-hmm. to double re- check to redo the test itself. Mm-hmm. Remember that case of that guy in Canada, the like rapist dentist. I think he was a dentist. He was definitely a doctor, maybe not a dentist, but he. Oh, who put the like hid the vial inside of his arm? Yeah, fake blood. Oh, yeah, in his own arm. Yeah, I remember that. And then had multiple like agreed to like multiple DNA. I covered him. I think. Yeah, Yeah. remember that? That was a really, really good episode of Forensic Files too. I know. So so Channel sixty two. They made love. They made love. Not on their wedding night, because who does no. that? Jesus yeah. Christ. Never happening. A guy named Mathieu 
Joseph Bonaventure Orfila, born in 1787, died in 1853, is often called the father of toxicology. Who's toxicology? <laughs> <laughs> One of Blorney's best lines. I love it. Father of gene therapy. Who's gene, Who's gene therapy? therapy? <laughs> <laughs> she's giving birth right now. As we speak. That was the dumbest thing she's ever said. Okay. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Checking my phone to see if this baby is out. So Orfila <laughs> was the first great 19th century proponent of forensic medicine. He was born in Spain and studied medicine in Valencia and Barth- Barcelona mm. before continuing his studies in Paris <laughs> in 1816. <laughs> P-Town. P-Town. <laughs> In 1816, he acted as the royal physician to Louis the Seventeenth. The Seventeenth. A year How later, you say the Seventeenth. <laughs> Can't remember that number off the top of my tête. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're idiots. (laughs) (laughs) A year later, he became a chemistry professor at the Athenee of Paris. Mm, In 1819, he became a French citizen. I mean, he should at this point. (laughs) Jesus. I know. (laughs) Your name is Mathieu. (laughs) (laughs) He's very Mathieu for his age. Oh my so god. Dumb. So fucking dumb. <laughs> really dumb. <laughs> he was appointed the Professor of Medical Jurisprudence, which refers to a branch of law relating to medicine. Mm. In 1830, he became a dean of the Faculté of Médecine, <laughs> reorganizing the medical school, raising educational requirements for admissions, and instituting more rigorous exam procedures. He basically just shaped shit up. Right. Because like, they're making you doctors a little too easily out here. <laughs> yeah. We need to tighten <laughs> this up. <laughs> We've yeah. talked about this. Let's previously. go to the container store. Let's mm, yeah, let's get this organized. Yeah. Let's set standards for syringes everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if we try to save people's lives? Oh, wait a minute. What if we <laughs> quit clowning around during <laughs> surgeries? <laughs> <laughs> no, no that was so fun. Play. No more horseplay in the surgical <laughs> chamber. Theater. Theater. <laughs> no more junior mints allowed. Oh my God, that episode of Seinfeld is so good. <laughs> Overall, he did a lot during his time, including publishing a ton of articles, the titles of which are all in French, so I did not include them. Mm. While he was off doing all this, he worked to make chemical analysis a routine part of forensic medicine, which today, yeah, truly is a big deal. Mm, Fucking (laughs) dumb. He helped develop tests for the presence of blood in a forensic context and is credited as one of the first people to use a microscope to assess blood and jizz stains. Oh, my God. The perv. Mm -hmm. He liked being up close and personal Ugh, with the crusties ew the with sebum. that thick that yeah. well, that thick that thick thick <laughs> that good good stop <laughs> i hate it so gross <laughs> 
He also Get often- a whiff of that good girl. <laughs> <laughs> he also often acted as a medical expert in criminal cases. So he would argue that the natural arsenic in the soil around graves could be drawn into the body and then later be mistaken for poisoning. Oh. This was one of his things. Is so he- that true? Yeah, was this a legitimate discovery? Yeah. Okay, oh. cool. Arsenic lives naturally in the ground. Right. So if they were to dig up a body later and test that tissue for arsenic, it would probably be present. Yeah. Interesting. He conducted his own studies on this and insisted that soil testing become a part of the procedure in all exhumation cases. Makes sense. Big Compare deal. and contrast. Mm-hmm. Even if somebody's in a coffin? It's the 1800s, though, so I don't know what they're... Maybe. I mean, they certainly they weren't like, sealed seal. up good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They could have been like thin wood. Mm-hmm. Well, think of that. Or, not, or just a shroud. Think of that Gak episode where Lucy talked about the fucking like body and hair coming up out of the ground around a grave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's like recent. Think about it. Think, no, about, think it. about it. I haven't stopped. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> that, that photo was so gross. It's horrifying. <laughs> okay. Not good. So insisted on soil testing. He was also pretty cool, but also controversial for his pro-monarchist politics and some other really dry BS that I also didn't include. So Because I don't care about it. He was cool <laughs> on the science, science side, less so on the political side. Mm-hmm. In 1836, British chemist James M. Marsh developed a method for testing the presence of arsenic in human tissue. We're circling back to the soil sitch. Mm-hmm. He used zinc and sulfuric acid to create arsine gas to create the Marsh test, which was highly sensitive to even small levels of arsenic. I'm pretty sure some variety of that is still used today. I think they still call it the Marsh test. Cool. It was the first use of toxicology in a juried trial. Mm. Interesting. So fun fact about the Marsh test. In 1840, Orfila, the first guy, the Spaniard, mm-hmm. turned Frenchman, Mm-hmm. was actually called to investigate a charge against a woman named Marie Lafarge for poisoning her husband. Arsenic had been found in the husband's food, and Marie also had access to arsenic. Literally every housewife had access to ar- arsenic before, like, 1968. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The good old days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but no arsenic was found in his corpse when they used the Marsh test. Mm. Orfila discovered that the Marsh test had been administered inaccurately, and in fact, there was arsenic present in the husband's corpse. She probably was like, I love this science This is amazing. (laughs) Maybe I didn't kill him. I don't fucking know. (laughs) I don't, you know. Guess it wasn't me. Maybe I dreamt it. (laughs) But she caught you on the counter. It wasn't me. Um, okay. So the case is notable because it was one of the first ever trials to be followed by the public in daily newspapers. It was mm-hmm. TMZ. It was the yeah. first TMZ. And Marie Lafarge was also the first person convicted largely on direct forensic toxicological toxicological evidence. My cool. case is very similar to this case. Oh good. There's mm-hmm. a picture of Marie. Oh, cute. There's a picture of Marie and also of Orfila on the drive which will be on the blog. 
Since then, the discipline has changed and evolved to adjust to new technology and other advancements. There have been many changes in the fields of chemistry and biology as well, which have involved multiple advancements with new drugs and testing for toxins. According to AZO Life Sciences, Azu, God bless you, Gesundheit. <laughs> Gesundheit. The most, <laughs> the most significant advances to, uh, include the ability to analyze hair and other body fluids besides blood and urine using more optimized methods such as gas chromatography and liquid chromatography with tandem mass spectrometry. Okay. Following. Totally. When the drug doses are expected to be low so they can identify really small amounts. So, for example, when you see cops in the field testing a substance with like a strip of paper dipped in chemicals and it turns like like purple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they're like, this is cocaine. Mm hmm. That's, that's the technology. That's cro- that's liquid chromatography. Okay. Oh, so that's what they're doing when they're testing the, the baby food at the airport. Mm. Chromatography. So how does one become a forensic toxicologist? You're probably asking right now. Mm-hmm. According mm. to the American Academy of Forensic Sciences, most people seek a bachelor's degree in the life or physical sciences as the first step toward pursuing a career in forensic toxicology. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm a no really for me, Dad. It's never too I late. Would have it's, failed high school biology if our final exam hadn't been canceled by another class cheating so much. Probably and my class. Probably I was gonna say class got a lot of us copied so off much. of Jessica. I sat right next to Jessica, very yep. intentionally during chemistry. <laughs> I didn't get. I mean, I wasn't even an good enough at science in any capacity to be in the same classes as you and Jessica, but she's the only reason I passed because she would tutor me, which meant she would tutor me, but help me decide what to put on my Help you decide what to put on my cheat sheets. I sat between Blortney and Jessica in chemistry. You were Mm -hmm. set. And I have such a vivid memory of in that class, Courtney realized that she had lost her paycheck from the dinner theater. Oh, no. And she was distraught. We were both like, just go to your boss and say you need the check recut. And she was like, but I already signed it. She uh, si- she used to sign her checks as soon as she got them. No, honey. You don't sign it till you're depositing it. And that's why I cheated off of Jessica and not Blorton. <laughs> <laughs> Aw, honey. It was like a hundred some bucks. And in high that's school, that was a money. shitload of Oh, my of money. God. Yeah. Yeah. It is now. What I wouldn't give for a hundred dollars. <laughs> Just like a free hundred do yeah, almost anything for a hundred dollars right now. <laughs> That'd be sick. That'd be real cool. Okay. <laughs> Weddings are expensive, y'all. It'd be cool though. What I would cool. not do, do for a hundred dollars. The list is short of what I wouldn't do for a hundred dollars. <laughs> But like a fun hundred. A fun sure. hundred. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I just have nothing left after all my bills. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a candidate. I'm not should... in trouble. I just want more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't need help digging my way out, but No, it just hurts. Just wanna have fun now and then. <laughs> A candidate should have a solid background in chemistry. Nope. And should have coursework in pharmacology and toxicology as needed. Nope. 
It is not required to have a master's or a PhD, but many forensic toxicologists do hold those do. degrees. Yeah. <laughs> You're just the competition's going to be rough if you don't have one. I would have done better in science if it had been framed around forensics. Absolutely. If they had been like, this is a liquid. I already forgot the word for it. <laughs> chromatography. <laughs> and this is a liquid chromatography test. My and bitches. we use it to determine if a substance is cocaine, cocaine. or gonna. <laughs> oh my God, I would have loved that. Mm-hmm. Right? I would have been Brilliant. all into that. Instead, we were Wrapped always just like attention. thrown into these group experiments. And like, I always felt like I missed the intro part where they're like explaining why the fuck we're doing this thing. It was never like applied. It was just like, oh, this is the Latin word for this chemical. And when it interacts with this chemical, then we get this third chemical. It's like, cool, dude. Why? Why? Uh, Why (laughs) do I care about this? How How long did it take them to figure this out? And for what purpose? (laughs) There was no (laughs) explanation of like the end game. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. We should be teachers. Just kidding. Been there, done that. Don't like it. Hardest job ever. No, thanks. (laughs) Dancing bear in the circus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some enter the field after working or pursuing education in other fields and failing, such as medicinal chemistry, pharmacology, or clinical chemistry. The American Board of Forensic Toxicology offers professional certification to scientists working in forensic toxicology. And to be certified, a candidate must fulfill one of the following, a doctorate degree and and at least three years full-time experience or a master's degree and at least seven years full-time experience. It's just a lot. Is it worth it? That's up to you. Let me work (laughs) it. That's that's dedication. I mean, they are solving crimes, so that's nice. Yeah, you want them to be well-versed. Yeah. 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 The average salary for a forensic toxicologist is around $70,000 a year or $34 an hour. It should Not be more shabby. than that. With should all, be more. It should be more than that. With all of that education. Yeah. That's bullshit. The it top, should be at least six figures. The top 10 percentile makes over one hundred and twenty-three grand annually, while the bottom 10 percent makes under... 39 grand annually. That's insane. No. Absolutely not. They may That's work- leaving shit open to bribes. Absolutely it is. And that does happen. Mm-hmm. Have you guys watched that documentary, How to Fix a Drug Scandal? Yeah. That is so fucking good and it is exactly what we're talking about. They go. did a, there's a season of, I think it's called like American Scandal podcast or something that I think covers that case as well. It's Someone so who good. is churning out incorrect lab results Mm -hmm. she's churning out bogus lab results because she's taking all the evidence drugs and using it Mm -hmm. she's fully addicted to like all sorts of shit yeah and she was responsible for putting like hundreds hundreds of people in jail and it overturned a fuck ton of convictions after her Mm -hmm. scandal came to light yeah that little mini series on netflix is really good really wild so forensic toxicologists may work in uh, medical examiner laboratories like that lady crime laboratories military uh, or government or in private sector facilities so like the the kinds of companies that do, that conduct like drug tests for corporations mm-hmm. 
Forensic toxicology has three main subdisciplines. We have post-mortem forensic toxicology. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Human performance toxicology and forensic drug testing. So post-mortem forensic toxicologists work with pathologists, medical examiners, and coroners to help establish the role of alcohol, drugs, and poisons in the causation of death. They investigate suspected drug overdoses, homicide, suicide, natural deaths, and general unknown deaths where toxins are ruled in or out via testing and analysis. Mm-hmm. That's the good shit. That's the juicy yeah. shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Human performance toxicologists deal with the effect of alcohol and drugs on human performance or behavior. So they, like doping scandals. That's where, that's where my mind went to immediately. And yes, but also they work in an array of criminal investigations ranging from impaired driving mm. to vehicular assault and homicide to yep. child custody or abuse mm-hmm. or to d- drug facilitated crimes such as sexual assault. Oh, okay. okay. Or like neglect, maybe, for like custody hearings. Okay. Yep. Their job uses the same application of techniques as a death investigation setting, but their specimens are collected from living people. So it's very similar. They're just not dealing with corpses. I was listening to, I think it was on NPR. It was a podcast about how there are people who give birth and they while they were pregnant they were prescribed by a doctor methadone because they had had you know an active addiction to opioids and they wanted to try to kick that addiction mm-hmm. while they were pregnant for like the sake of their baby they wanted to keep their baby mm-hmm. so they're prescribed methadone during pregnancy they give birth to a healthy baby and then because methadone is found in their blood work after giving birth, the baby mm-hmm. is taken by CPS. By CPS. Uh-huh. So yeah. fucked up. Is there like a remedy for, I mean, what would, I mean, it's, I think this? it really just depends on like different jurisdictions and states and like different, it's like, you know, very piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Isn't that oh, fucked up? That's really fucked up. Yeah. I hate it when different clumps of <laughs> medical or like the authorities don't fucking talk to each other. Yeah. They don't agree yeah. on the same shit. It's well, like your doctor like, tells you one thing and the cops are like, nope, taking your baby. Yeah. Right. I did. Yeah. yeah. That's really that's horrific. Ugh. You can't win. Ugh. Um, okay. So back to human performance toxicologists. They are usually asked to determine the timing and extent of impairment resulting from different patterns of drug and alcohol use. Their job requires applying knowledge from clinical and medical studies and experience in the field to give an opinion about the effects of a drug or combination of drugs at the time of the crime or accident. So the DUI example I gave earlier would be a behavioral toxicologist, probably. Mm -hmm. Like this would be their level of impairment. Yeah, this This is how much they had in their system mm-hmm. and these are mm-hmm. the effects of having that much in their in their system. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. in my experience like breathalyzer results aside in my experience 3 beers 2 hours before this 150 pound person drove mm-hmm. would not be impaired wouldn't impair their performance or, or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. yeah so forensic drug testing is used in many settings including the workplace oh here we go doping control in sports Mm-hmm. I was thinking I, that I was the first one. Up. 
I was thinking that was the human behavioral one, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. that that's forensic drug testing because it has to do with a a crime. Mm-hmm. Doping control in sports, probation, parole, compliance monitoring, and testing. So the scope of drug testing is often limited compared to other subsections, but the amount of testing can be much greater. Workplace drug testing laboratories can perform tens of thousands of tests per day. How boring. That that would be so boring. And often require specialized equipment configurations such as multiplexing, which decreases analysis time and improves productivity. So it's just another way of, I don't know. It just sounds boring. I'm just picturing robots with like little Right, tests. the little arm. Yeah. <laughs> little mm-hmm. cups of pee. Yeah. Oh, God, drinking it <laughs> and then giving the everywhere. results. <laughs> the robot drinks it, spits out a receipt. Fire her. Cocaine. I I was at the doctor recently, just like, you know, regular checkups, whatever. Yeah, just for fun. (laughs) And they had me like pee in a cup. For happy hour. And put the cup in the little like box window thing in the bathroom. And there was already two other people's pee sitting in there. Oh, yeah. Were they on a lunch break? I don't know. (sighs) They're backed up. But like, that's gross. Yeah, that is gross. I could have done anything to those people's pee. Those well, windows party. fascinate me. You should have knocked on the other door. It wasn't Hello? a window. It was just a cubby. Mm. Oh, it didn't go to the other side. Mm. My pee's going bad. Mm-hmm. You got stale piss in here. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. I don't know. It grossed me out. It's yeah. cool to the touch. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Next. <sighs> Next. And lastly, I have... This cool body diagram of what information can be found where for toxicological purposes. The diagram will be on the blog. Very yes. cute and color coded. I love it. It's really cute. So from the eyes, we can gather specifically from the vitreous humor that we can find the concentration and levels of a drug before one to two hours earlier before death. Because the only way you can get the vitreous humor is if you like take the eyeball out. So it's always like a postmortem. Mm-hmm. As far as I understand, it's always a postmortem test because you don't want to take that shit out of your eyeball for just for a, t- a test if you're still alive. Yeah, yeah it's kind of crucial. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that can reveal the drug, the drug info from like way before. Okay. Mm. And the vitreous humor, I don't think I put this in here but I have done extensive research on vitreous humor as of recently. <laughs> that is important because after death, a lot of the other body fluids are changed chemically because of like just decomposition, yep. cell lysis, or the, the breaking and, down. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the other fluids that they might otherwise test if the body's been dead for a little while wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't give you that good of information, but the vitreous mm-hmm. humor is isolated from all of those other chemical changes. Gives you that good, good, that so thick, get, thick. Yeah, it, and that it can- eyeball thick, thick. That eyeball thick, thick. We just, <laughs> it's so gross. This is your fault. You haven't thrown up while pregnant on the show yet, and yeah, we're gunning yeah, for it. Yeah, eyeball thick, thick, good, I good. Didn't have, eat my fourth, I hadn't eaten my fourth piece of toast. And now I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. But the coolest thing about the vitreous humor, you can get information from it even after the body's been embalmed. 
Because oh, they weird. usually don't fuck with the eyeball. There's no reason they'd fuck with the eyeball. So it's mm-hmm. still in there with just all of your information from Behind when you were alive. The retina. Wow. Yeah. Is that fucking cool? That is cool. Ugh. Um, also, Lucy's <laughs> so happy. She's uh, struck uh, overcome so with humor. joy. It's so cool. Over that eyeball, good, good. <laughs> also, if a person died because of a DUI and they don't recover the body till later, the alcohol concentration in the blood would would compound because of those chemical changes. So a person might be uh, accused is not the right word, but the they might think that the person was way more drunk than they actually were mm. at the time of the death. Because the body's like fermenting itself. Yeah. So Ooh. that's why it's important to check the vitreous humor. Mm-hmm. Wow. Vitreous humor don't lie, you know? I was mm-hmm. drunk, but I wasn't that drunk. Mm-hmm. Check my vitreous humor. Yeah. I'm or, dead. I'm, I'm dead. dead. <laughs> I'm just I'm, be- <laughs> I'm just portraying my ghost at this point. Yeah. I don't care about my legacy. I'll be dead. I'm not <laughs> going down for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, I'm already down. I'm really down. I'm Six as down, down as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> How am I speaking right now? I'm okay. a ghost. <laughs> you can also figure shit out because of insects which can determine if drugs were present present in the body after they consume parts of the dead tissue. Oh, like maggots and shit? If yeah. If maggots get drunk. It, oh you could God. take a sample of the it, maggots or beetles or whatever and then, like, figure out if there's drugs or alcohol in the bugs. Drunk Cocaine maggots. maggots. Party. They made love. Party maggots. Oh. Also, if you give cocaine to... What are the bugs that eat wood? Termites. Termites? Yeah. <laughs> Do they, they termite faster? <laughs> they oh, termite yeah. way faster. They're more efficient. And they have more termite entrepreneur ideas. <laughs> <laughs> they are the eldest child. <laughs> and they start like six podcasts. <laughs> Is this what we they need? definitely register for like three different LLCs. Oh, my God. <laughs> In there. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay, liver tissue reveals the presence of a drug and the levels of the drug before death. Um, and also, the bile from the liver can determine if the drugs were in the system anytime over the past three or four days. Because those drugs would, would somehow accumulate in the bile itself. And doesn't hair tell you about drug use like from farther back? That is complicated. Okay. It depends on the drug. Yeah. And uh, so like say LSD, Mm -hmm. that can show you it's more, it's more reliable within the last like 90 days, Mm -hmm. but it's also in such low amounts that that specific drug actually grows into your hair that you can, you could tell if it was there, but like, it's not super reliable. Oh, okay. They don't, I don't think they use hair testing that much. And it's also not the they hair itself. They do a itself. lot for it's the, weed. It's the bulb of the hair. Well, no, the bulb for, of the hair is for DNA. DNA, but, but hair, you can test for like weed in hair and it yeah. will grow into the length of the shaft. And then that can help determine how long ago well, they right. smoked hair, it. Hair grows out of the bulb. So it's Yes, but bulb. they don't test. It is 
both, but they actually test the shaft to yeah. determine the length of time that that chemical is pre- sh- has been sh- present in the growth of the right. hair. Right. The shaft couldn't tell you. There's no DNA in the shaft, so the shaft right. couldn't tell you who it belongs to, but it, right. it can tell you about the drug use for yeah. certain drugs. Yeah. And a- time period. Depends on mm. the drug and also the time period. If you have really short hair, you know, yeah. people will literally shave their heads or cut their hair to avoid that. Yeah. Th- that exact thing. Seen it done. Couldn't they seriously pluck a hair, though, from like your arm and test it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they could. But in terms or of armpit. like the length of time a, a drug, a specific drug right. has been in your it's system. Not, it's not a very long hair. Yeah, the hair's not very long, so that wouldn't be super effective. Super I, think you shed, I think you shed your thinner non-head hairs a lot faster than your head hairs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My point is it's not consistently a reliable source we'll of do a forensic information. Episode. We are oh, yeah. we we did hair. We'll do another hair. We'll do life is We can long. do whatever we want. Okay. It's our show. Okay. <laughs> okay, fingernails can reveal I guess also toenails. Mhm. Gross. No. Can reveal if there are any heavy metals and they can determine if uh there is drug or alcohol use from the last one to two weeks, and they can also show usage from the growth timeline. So similar mm-hmm. to hair, which I guess it's both it's both keratin, right? Mm-hmm. And hair and nails. So it would work similarly. Mm-hmm. But with your fingernail, I mean, maybe they can take a small a sample from like the base of your fingernail, but they can't like remove your fingernails. I to think test they can them. get it from clippings, though. They right, might be able I'm to, like, like, scrape some of the top off. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a scraping situation. I don't Ugh. know. I'm good. I thought the alcohol use was interesting, though, that you can see that in your fingers. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Urine in the bladder can reveal if drugs were present in the bloodstream at an earlier time because it would take about eight hours for the substance to be present in the urine. Mm-hmm. Rewinding back to the fingernails. Is that why <laughs> you can... Like smokers, like people who smoke cigarettes, their fingernails are like yellow and more brittle. Yeah, I, I think that's part because of, of the smoke itself, because it's usually on their smoking hand. And it's their like smoking both. fingers. Like part of oh. it is from internal having nicotine in your system, but it's mostly from like holding a cigarette that's like smoldering or smoking. Ugh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like your right hand with your these two fingers usually is very more yellow. yellow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Stomach contents woo, contain oh <laughs> contain whatever drugs or poisons were ingested. Blood reveals the type of drug present and the level of, intox- of intoxication and the concentration of drugs or medicine. And oh, here we go. Like nails, I, f- I wrote these notes like three weeks ago. I know we're, <laughs> we've had we've been delaying this recording for a while. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like nails, hair reveals if there are any heavy metals in the body and illustrates intoxication history because of the hair growth. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Mm-hmm. The short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my segment. Wow. Well done. Thanks. I feel so informed. Right? Lots I'm ready info. to take my forensic toxicology exam without ready. even having to cheat off of Jessica. Absolutely. We basically ready. have our bachelor's degrees and seven years of field experience. Mm-hmm. We're going to get our honorary doctorate any day now. Any day. <laughs> I can feel it. All right. Well, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, hopefully fucking Biotin. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we'll get to my case. Okay. Let's do it. Have you heard of Dipsy? Probably. Mm. How could you not have? We talk about it a lot. <laughs> Dipsy <laughs> has all types of oral pleasures to explore. See what we did there? Oral, like your ears, not what you were thinking of, but that oh. can be incorporated too. Sure, If that's what you're into, tell us more. Oh, God bless Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for everyone. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters, and you can discover stories about, I don't know, second chance romances. Uh. Or adventurous vacation flings, hot and heavy hookups. I mean, they have it all. Radically inclusive, Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners. And 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. And you have never heard celebrities like this before, okay? You can listen to stories voiced by Sarunas J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, and Luke Cook. I am already sweating. <laughs> New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. And they also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read if you didn't charge your headphones. <laughs> so let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your bee time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash gals, dipsystories.com slash gals, and treat your fantasies. Treat them. Get the star treatment with your own personal stylist. You might think that this is so extravagant and something you could never do, but stop right there because with Stitch Fix, you'll have access to real stylists. These are people, okay? People who will work with you to create a wardrobe that is tailored just for you. Tell us more. Stitch Fix is the best way to discover new styles and brands just for you. It's... I would have thought it was an AI situation, and it's not. There are real humans behind this. So think of Stitch Fix as your style partner, your style human partner. Your human stylist will learn about your tastes and collaborate with you on looks you will love. All you have to do is answer a few questions about where you typically like to shop. Like, I like Madewell. Mm -hmm. I like sort of kind of neutral, you know, kind of casual clothes. Mm. Also, what you like to wear, black leggings. Athleisure, baby. <laughs> and also your price range, because some things I just don't want to have anything to do with if they're in a certain mm -hmm. threshold. Mm -hmm. So with your choices in mind and a wide range of sizes available from extra small to 3XL, they'll find your perfect fit. They've got you covered with over a thousand brands and styles. Here's my favorite part. Help so me. I am with child. Mm -hmm. I've got to get new clothes. Yep. And not a lot of maternity clothes are that cute. Yeah. Stitch Fix has a whole maternity um, section. Yeah, it's amazing. It's real cute. Just this morning, I got my Fix uh, preview. So mm -hmm. I got to go through and like pick what's coming in yep. my Stitch Fix for this month. Mm -hmm. So freaking cute. I am so excited. 
So you get your pieces in the mail, you try them on at home before you buy them, you just keep what you love and you send back the rest in this bag. It could not be easier. Mm-hmm. Plus, shipping returns and exchanges are always free. They have got your back. There is yep. no subscription required. You simply order a refresh as needed or set it and forget it like we did with regular mm-hmm. seasonal fixes. You are in control, baby. I'm obsessed with Stitch Fix. So try Stitch Fix today at stitchfix.com slash gals. And you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash gals for 25% off today. One more time, stitchfix.com slash gals and treat your wardrobe. Trade it. We are going to be going in the way back machine. Your favorite place to go. (laughs) One of my faves. To the late 19th century in the bustling city of Jersey City, New Jersey. Ever heard of it? (laughs) Love it. Your hometown. My hometown. I did live there for two miserable years. (laughs) So (laughs) just... Two really long years. It really longer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like five, honestly. Mm -hmm. Was that where you lived when your roommates thought you guys were having sex in the living room, but it was just Zach doing push ups? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Zach had those push up discs. And I was asleep in our bedroom, and he was doing push ups in the living room, and our roommates thought that we were just having sex at like 7 30 p.m on a weekday in the shared living room <laughs> really not. rhythmically for like really 40 minutes <laughs> my and god they didn't cook dinner that night or like they were scared to come out of their room to, yes <laughs> fucking funny and they told us about it months later when he like did it again in the living room and they were like oh <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> Text. Are you guys fucking? I'm hungry. Yeah, Yeah, seriously. Like, it's hard. So odd. Like, who who makes that assumption? That was quite a leap. I don't know. Quite a leap. Roommate trauma. Anyway. That's what I think of when I think of Jersey City. (laughs) That specific anecdote. (laughs) So, George Vosberg, I don't know, Vosberg, Vosberg. Sure. I'll probably say it both ways. Is a charismatic and popular young pastor, a pillar of his community. But behind closed doors, George's home life was tumultuous Mm. at his own fucking doing because he's a piece of shit. Okay. (laughs) So George was married to Harriet and their marital life was strained. The couple fought frequently over any number of things, but the most glaring issue in their marriage was George's unhappiness over there being childless. Okay, get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, at this... (laughs) Fuck you, George, get over it. Fuck you, George. (laughs) Which I have in my notes. Like, at this point, you might be thinking, fuck you, dude, that's not (laughs) it. (laughs) That's not in Harriet's hands. I might be thinking that. (laughs) And there's a 50% chance it's It's your your fucking fucking fault. fault. (laughs) You shit dick. (laughs) And while one would never try to assign blame to infertility issues, (laughs) this was not your classic case of infertility. Do you know us? (laughs) And while we would never... Fuck you, shit dick. It's probably your fault. (laughs) 
fuck you shit dick <laughs> oh I can have a baby whoa <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> okay I never thought I would laugh this hard at infertility yeah, no obviously shit. we are not I'm we recognize the struggle <laughs> But this I'm in guy the in group. I can make fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in fact, Harriet had been pregnant multiple times during their marriage, but she had had at least two abortions undertaken without, quote, without George's prior knowledge or approval. Oh. Good for her. Good for yes. her. Either they weren't his and we will get to it, or even more likely he was a fucking terrible piece of shit and she didn't want to have kids with him because he yep. was abusive and we will get to it. So also adding fuel to the fire was Harriet's apparent fling with a barman. Mm, like a barman. Okay, loving a barman. Harriet. <laughs> we got it. A, bar- a barman. Like a, bu- like a bar- a man who mends <laughs> Like a beerman, like those cats. I'm like allegedly a little high, so it's fine. Mm. From whom she <laughs> had even accepted a ring of some kind, some jewelry. So that's mm. all I know about him, unfortunately. So yeah, safe to say the Vosbergs are not in a great place in their relationship but the volatile atmosphere actually seemed to lift in the winter of 1877 to 78 when Harriet suddenly fell gravely ill. So George tended to his sick wife, like on her sick bed, but Harriet's brother, the ironically named James Sickles, was suspicious of his suddenly tender and concerned brother-in-law because he knew that George was a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Now you care, mm-hmm. shit dick. Mm-hmm. Shit dick. So he believed that George might be poisoning Harriet, and so Sickles began a secretive operation to gather forensic evidence to back up his claim. This is 1877. Get it, Sickles. So he Get was, it. He was like an early true crime weirdo. Yeah. I love basically. him. Basically. Like, like most people didn't even know this shit was possible. Also, a good brother. I like, bet he you're was sus. I'm going to gather evidence. <laughs> yep. I bet he was really fucking hot. Yeah. <laughs> He sounds hot. Yeah. yeah. James Sickles. <laughs> get it. Get it. He'd get that thick, thick. Oh. <laughs> Give me that thick, thick. Ew. <laughs> Give me that sick, sick. <laughs> oh. No. Get it. Oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. I'm so grossed that out. Joke. <laughs> so grossed out. So he's doing this, but it's very secretive. Even his sick sister was unaware of what he was doing, but also she was pretty advocate. She was like barfing all the time. Wait, her name. Oh, wait, never mind. Harriet Sickles. <laughs> her maiden but name, whatever I'm her assuming, was yeah. Sickles. Yeah. I, for a second, I thought her <laughs> maiden name was Sick Sickles. <laughs> we are That'd so unwell today. <laughs> <laughs> that would be rough. Yeah, that oh, would be rough. Just keep going without me. I'll catch up. Yeah, go take a nap. <laughs> go to bed. That's how you're just gonna feel for at least the for next a while. Sixteen Year. months. Eighteen months. <laughs> just like, just like oh. your brain has been taken out of your body and just put on a little shelf, and you can see it. But you can't, can't use quite it. reach it. <laughs> Everything that comes out of my mouth is like one third formed in my yes. brain. Yep. 
And the rest is just a potpourri of whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's a trip. Okay, so demonstrating a determination that bordered on obsession, Sickles, the brother, began collecting these samples, specifically of drinks that George was serving his ailing wife. Smart. He even procured samples of Harriet's urine. Oh. Okay. Like how you do that without her knowing. I guess he probably just like took the bedpan. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. So Sickles sent off the samples of the lab uh, to the lab of Dr. R. Ogden Doramus, professor of <laughs> chemistry. <laughs> I know. It doesn't sound great. Ogden Doramus. <laughs> what an ignoramus. Yeah. That's Dr. Doramus to you. Dr. Ignoramus <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah. Dr. <Doctor> Ignoramus. <laughs> He was a professor of chemistry at Bellevue Medical College, and his findings were alarming. Traces of antimony, a compound typically found in China dishware, Mm. not enamel, not the same thing as teeth and bathtubs. Got it. I checked. Okay. Were discovered in every single sample, so in all the beverages and in the urine. All the urine samples. Is that because all their shit was made out of China? No, it's me. No, <laughs> that's actually that would be an interesting counter. <laughs> like, yeah, well, they just they drank China. out of teacups and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our bedpan was China. No, I think it just <sighs> they took it to mean that he had poisoned them all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it could also be used in compound form known as tartar emetic. Uh, which is derived from antimony and potassium tartrate, which has the capacity to induce vomiting and is sometimes employed to treat fungal infestations. Tartar sauce. Yeah. Fungal uh, infestations. I, yeah, I didn't get into the fungal thing, but like tartar, like any <laughs> <laughs> missed <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> Start Googling, girlfriend. Uh, new, new SLB episode. <laughs> Actually, Real life versions of uh, The Last of Us would be a great mm-hmm. spooky little bitch episode. Ooh, like different kinds of fungal takeovers. Mm-hmm. Oh, fungal! I parasitic I fungi. Tartar fungal infestation. Tartar ah. infestation. Yikes! These images are rough. Oh, I can't. <laughs> oh well, now I have to. Oh. No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Haven't thrown up on a show yet. <laughs> Is this the day? That was really. Nasty. Gnarly. Oh, that was okay. Uh, Kenyan speechless. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh, Move I, on. I, I hate love this. weird skin stuff. I love it. I'm not even googling it myself, and I hate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After hours. <laughs> okay. So a medic, I think it refers to like making one throw up, mm-hmm. right? Okay, sure. But despite having some legitimate medicinal uses, the presence of antimony in Harriet's system raised alarm bells since the last thing she needed was more vomiting. Mm-hmm. So it's like even even if he was like, there'd be no reason to give her tartar emetic. It's like if you had the runs and someone gave you a laxative. Yeah, a laxative. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, my God. Okay. Hi, brain. I see you. Um, So in May uh, 1878, Reverend George Vosberg was arrested for attempted murder because once I think once the brother sent the samples to the lab, they got Harriet kind of away from him for long enough for her to get better. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's when they were like, okay, we're arresting you for attempted murder. Cool. So yeah, she had kind of a miraculous recovery. Whoops. Yeah, weird when you're not giving her poison tartar sauce every yeah. fucking day. <laughs> Yum. So the Bosbergs <laughs> were then thrust into a trial that would become a nationwide spectacle in the press. There were so many cartoons of this trial, like old-timey cartoons from Amazing. newspapers, and so many mutton chops. So just, like, go to the drive, look Ooh. at my folder of pics. These, these will be on the blog. Oh, my God. Like, Amazing. look at the men's facial hair. Ew, Brilliant. I don't like it. Yeah. I love it. Craziness. I mm. love an unruly chop. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, like the triangle side mm-hmm. face chop. The curly triangles. Out. Ray looks like that after a nap. Mm. Bill would look like that if mm-hmm. he let his beard grow. That'd be make Bill do that. Okay. Someday. Okay. Done. Okay. <laughs> Twist my arm. Okay. So in addition to her brother James, other members of Harriet's family testified against her husband. Her father recounted witnessing his son-in-law surreptitiously pull an unknown substance from his pocket and pour it into his daughter's tea before giving it to her. Mm -mm. Even more compelling were the accounts of Harriet's sister, Elvira. (gasps) Yes. Love. Harriet and Elvira. Mm -hmm. Sickles. So cool. Elvira Sickles. Okay, brilliant. Of course you're involved in a poisoning case. Not that you poisoned. No, she was, yeah, a witness. And the sister-in-law, Jenny, oh, no, whatever, it doesn't matter, who testified (laughs) about Harriet's deep-seated fear of being left alone with her husband. So, like, the family members are like, he's a piece of shit. He's an abusive piece of shit. We know it. She told us. She's scared Mm -hmm. of him. Whatever. Mm -hmm. But in a dramatic turn of events and a major blow to the prosecution's case, Harriet herself refused to testify against her husband. She's abused. Mm-hmm. In fact, she stood by him, literally sat next to him throughout much of the trial and refused to testify. Mm. And of course, a person cannot be compelled to testify against their spouse. They could volunteer to testify against their spouse, right. but they can't be right. forced to. And should. And should. So later on, when Harriet was interviewed and asked why she refused to testify, she said simply, quote, I have my reasons, which I do not wish to tell anybody. I shall not testify if I can help it. And like, Mm. yeah, she was afraid of him. And yeah, he'd been abusing her for years. I have my reasons that I don't want to tell anyone. I don't want him to murder me. Yeah. I'm not going to testify. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Still, the prosecution had facts and science. On their side. (laughs) Two of my favorite things. (laughs) They underscored the damning evidence of poison present in all of the samples of Harriet's beverages. Their key witness was Dr. Ignoramus, who (laughs) didn't just talk about his chemical analysis on the witness stand, but instead opted to demonstrate some of his tests live in the courtroom. Wow. What a show. How? I mean, back then, this would have been like if holograms were fucking used in the middle of a courtroom. If it was just like, boom, here's a hologram reenactment of the crime. Oh, my God. Fucking awesome. (laughs) Like, this was wild for Mm -hmm. the time. But Uh, when are we going to get courtroom holograms? Right? right? That seems like... It's got to be like right around the corner. I don't know. We still have people cartoon sketch artists in the courtroom so that's just we for, have, that's just for gigs though it's just yeah. for jollies mm-hmm. we could have a hologram of tupac but we can't get holograms right? in a courtroom this is bullshit i have the d- sphere thing in las vegas with the big truffle thing truffle okay 
I will say that that is, yes, the, the Las Vegas sphere is like a very weird ad thing, but to see stuff come up out of it is like through an app in your phone. Like through, that's like oh, AI. Oh, it is? I thought yes. it was a big I hologram. No, I looked it up because it looked so crazy. But yeah, that's oh, like, wow, that's, that's through cool. a camera. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you wouldn't see that with the naked eye. Oh, that's stupid. Mm. Yeah. Well, what do we want? Courtroom hologram? Hologram. <laughs> when do we want them? <laughs> now. now. Immediately. Yeah. now. Yeah. Like in uh, that jury uh, jury show duty, that, jury duty. Oh, so funny. I love that show. That, his, that the lawyer's <laughs> nephew. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we don't have time, but like watch just that show. watch that show. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, that was good. Okay, so she has her reasons. So they had science. Doctor Ignoramus. He's doing the test in the courtroom. Okay. Quote: During the trial, the professor brought his apparatus into the courtroom and. <laughs> Three wow. toxicological tests before the jury. He brought his apparatus I, I and bet he did. He whipped it out. I bet he, he did. whipped out his apparatus <laughs> and just right in front of the judge and jury. Jesus. And they were all struck. <laughs> <laughs> the move was, quote, novel and impressive. Mm. Okay. So sidebar, speaking about science, the issue of Harriet's abortions was discussed during the trial. Mm-hmm. And I found it really interesting and surprising how like nonchalant they were about questioning her about her abortions. Yeah, like it didn't used to be that big of a deal or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew a little bit about this, but I did some more digging because it just seemed like a much more like accepted topic than I even knew that it was for the time. Mm-hmm. So sidebar here. Up through until the mid-19th century, abortions were fairly common in this country and relatively safe, meaning like, Compared to any other medical procedure at the time, they were basically just as safe because mm-hmm. none of them were that safe. But anyway, mm-hmm. most were like Harriet's self-administered at home. And the most common form of abortion was to flush the inside of the uterus with injected water, which like for folks listening at home, it's not all that effective, but mm-hmm. it is it can help mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at least get stuff flowing. It can it can help kind of flush and wash stuff out like if you were trying to get pregnant you shouldn't do it Mm -hmm. but it's i'm just saying this for like people at home who might need information this would not be your first choice today we've got better ways now so Mm -hmm. this was not along with any kind of medicine or anything else it was just water spraying water up there i think it's spraying pray it must have depended on when at what point in the pregnancy, I'm sure, sure it wouldn't work for a more established pregnancy, but maybe to like try to like, I don't know. Mm. I don't have more information. Okay. There were also other types of abortion. This was just the most common one at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so like folks would like buy like a water apparatus and a douche. A, a, yeah. Heavy duty douche. It's like an enema, and, a front enema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of women actually in the past or people in the past used just regular douching to try to prevent pregnancy, but that wasn't an abortion. That was like Mm -hmm. attempted birth control. Anyway. Mm. Okay. They also had other types of abortion for people who are farther along or whatever, if their water thing doesn't work. And midwives tended to be 
abortion providers for for anyone who was doing one outside the home. Mm -hmm. So then the American Medical Association, the AMA, was founded in 1847. It was run entirely by men. Mm-hmm. And one of their first priorities was making abortions illegal. Great. So they, had they didn't t- have a say in it. Mm-hmm. Literally. It was a power control thing. So we're going to, there are two reasons. Mm-hmm. They had two motivations. One, the whole Tucker Carlson, great replacement, white supremacist bullshit stuff about, mm-hmm. you know, today it's framed as like, well, if. The birth rate's down. If white women are, are having abortions, then mm-hmm. whatever, the great replacement theory. But then it was if Yankee white Protestant women are having abortions, then soon we'll be outnumbered by Catholics mm. and then also racist shit like blacks and Chinese and mm-hmm. whatever. That's that was the thinking. Mm-hmm. And Weird. two, because they felt midwives had too much power and too much market share over OBGYN stuff. Because all oh, yeah. OBGYNs were dudes, too. So this everything was changing in like medicine at this time. Mm-hmm. So more and more people were like studying, like men were going to medical school and medical school was more rigorous. And the only people that could go were men. And so the only people graduating as like actual doctors were men. And if there's a boom in the number of doctors, we need to create mm-hmm. more jo- doctor jobs for them. Mm-hmm. And here's so we got to get rid of midwives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that they can take they can have jobs. Yeah. Jesus. So, quote, if the AMA could wrest control over the marketplace of abortion, it would be lucrative to this growing cadre of university educated, mostly male physicians who are beginning to specialize in things like obstetrics and gynecology. End mm-hmm. quote. God. And so they launched a crusade against abortion, mainly targeted at female abortion providers. Also, like women who gave birth in the hospital with male doctors had much higher maternal mortality rates because the doctors wouldn't wash their hands and midwives did just because they like, they didn't know about germs, but they just knew that like, wash your fucking hands. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty basic. And they're not handling corpses. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay. Long sidebar. Cool. Great. Love it. Back to the trial. George uh, Vosberg's defense team was formidable and politically connected. It included the likes of the former governor of New Jersey, Joseph D. Beadle. Ooh. What as is well, with all the names in your case? <laughs> it's an old timey case. Their names were amazing. <laughs> also, a former senator. So they presented counter experts who refuted Dr. Ignoramus's findings, saying that Harriet couldn't have been poisoned with antimony because she had made such a quick recovery. <laughs> what? So the, what they're saying is. It sounds funny on the face of it because it's like clearly she was being poisoned because as soon as he wasn't near her, she made then a miraculous she, recovery. Right. So she was no longer being she poisoned, was poisoned. And she felt better. Right. So that's the prosecution's theory of the case, which is correct. And the defense's theory of the case is if she had been poisoned with antimony, then the effects of that poisoning would have lasted longer. Take it longer to and wear she off. she would have been sick for longer. So therefore, because she made such a miraculous recovery, it couldn't have been antimony. Okay. Okay. Which, like, I'm not a doctor, but that's what they tried to claim. They also claimed that Harriet had been taking a different medication given to her by a clairvoyant before she <laughs> fell ill, mm. which I 
was desperate to find more information about this and couldn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tragic. But yeah, like, that's like the juiciest part of the story. Clairvoyant. Love yeah, her. A sangoma. Yeah, yeah. and Harriet was seeing a clairvoyant, but we don't know Duh. if they gave her medication or what it was. I wish my clairvoyant could right? prescribe. A twofer? Yeah. <laughs> People might actually go to the doctor if it was like you get a four-tarot reading. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, so mainly, though, they questioned the veracity slash the chain of custody of the samples that James Sickles had gathered. Mm. So he had no way to prove where the samples had come from other than just, like, his word. Mm. And if he had, they didn't know if he had tampered with them or not. And he didn't frame have a his brother-in-law. Right. Mm. So they he could have laced the samples with the antimony himself in order to frame George, mm-hmm. which, like, is a good defense, I will say. That is I a good defense. I appreciate that. Yeah. So Vosberg, while on the stand, staunchly denied ever having contact with the Tartar emetic prior to the trial when his governor slash lawyer, mayor matchmaker, Mm -hmm. asked him (laughs) if he poisoned his wife. He answered, no, sir, I never had a powder of Tartar emetic in my hand in my life until the other day in this courtroom. The drama. Is Tartar emetic the that's the thing that makes you barf? Is yeah. that also mm-hmm. the stuff in the China? Antimony is oh, one one part of different compounds. So it can be used in making China and then it's called something else, the compound. Or it can be used in tartar emetic and then it's a different name of a compound. So either way, these are substances that a person could just go get from the hardware store at the time? Definitely the tartar emetic. People were just had that in their medicine cupboards a lot because if you were sick, There's like the, Pepto. the best yeah. thing they could do for you was make you puke. Get it out. Yeah. But the other stuff, the China stuff, he wasn't like grinding up China or anything? Yeah, he wasn't like, he didn't work in a China dish factory. So I think it was not relevant. It was okay. just an example of like, this is a use of a lubricant. Oh, okay. Lubricants mm. are used in machinery. I don't know. Whatever. Got it. Okay. Okay. The defense's powerful cross-examination also shone a light on various aspects of the couple's life, muddying the waters considerably. Basically, both George and Harriet came out of this trial looking absolutely fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. All their dirty laundry got aired, not just the abortions and the barman boyfriend, mm-hmm. but also Harriet's alleged morphine habit, which might have been the quote unquote medication that her clairvoyant was giving her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds like a clairvoyant. Med. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> that definitely tracks. Mm-hmm. But also George's abuse. He was having s- sexual affairs on the side mm-hmm. to like. It was a bad fucking marriage. Yeah. During cross-examination, it came to light that the good reverend was visiting another woman, Miss Mary Perschel. Slut. A little too often. (laughs) George was a reverend? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. Mm Mm-hmm. Jesus. As part of his pastoral duties. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. George claimed that he'd stopped visiting that particular parishioner after Harriet became upset about it, although... He has no idea why she would be upset about it because nothing was happening. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So the DA asked, quote, did you not threaten to choke your wife because of your differences over Mary Partial? To which George replied, no, with explosive fervor. 
quote. Well, yeah, but I didn't do it. He's <laughs> such a drama king. Yeah. The prosecutor also asked if Vosberg's family liked Harriet, but his lawyers objected to the question saying, quote, well, if his family disliked her, that's a good reason to murder her. Yeah, that's fucking irrelevant. It is irrelevant, <laughs> but still. That's so funny. Old-timey sarcasm is always really fun. Yeah. <laughs> The jury was presented a complex portrait of a troubled marriage and they were torn. Were these compelling enough reasons for a man of God to commit such a heinous crime? Probably. And in the end, they didn't think so. And the jury declared George Vosberg not guilty. Wow. Hmm. Following his acquittal, Vosberg returned to his church, which must have been incredibly awkward. But life wasn't totally back to normal. Not long after the trial, the couple separated, thank goodness, because he, you know, tried to murder you. Uh-huh. And m- multiple times, it sounds like. After which point, more evidence surfaced of George's abusive nature. So th- this was such a big case in the press that, like, people followed them after the trial. And then, like, mm-hmm. when they got separated, that was also reported on. Love after lockup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More TMZ. Old-timey yeah. TMZ. Absolutely. So he may have even made further attempts to poison Harriet. There's not that much info about this, but I did read it in one place. So I am running with it that there is evidence that he attempted to poison her after the trial. Oh, my God. Which would be very ballsy. Double jeopardy. Kind of. No, I don't think it (laughs) was. Kind (laughs) of. The public, once divided in their opinion, finally turned against George, forcing him to resign his position with the Madison Avenue Baptist Church. He left New Jersey, relocating to Denver, and then he eventually remarried, this time to a wealthy woman. So he actually did, like, End up on top. Yeah. Men always survive. (laughs) He's Ugh. doing fucking fine. Mm-hmm. He remained Loser. a pastor or pastor, and he went on to lead an even larger congregation in Denver than he, he had a bigger in New Jersey. following. Yeah. And then fun fact, George's great granddaughter. So with this second wife, Peggy Revy or Revy, I think Revy, who was an artist and also the ex-wife of filmmaker David Lynch. She is George's great-granddaughter, and she was inspired by the story of her poisoner ancestor, so she created an art show titled The Vosberg Poisoning Case and Other Sins. Cool. Creepy. Yeah. I love dumping on your ancestors. Peggy Revy. All revved up. Cool. So that's my case. I know. He was acquitted, which is strange but the defense did a really good job i think well she didn't die and she escaped him in the end all's well that ends well lucy says well (laughs) could be could have been worse no crying milk you lived what crying you're abusive husband tried to murder you again and there was a big long months on the trial and you had to live with him through it the whole time so what's the big deal walk it off relax you're being hysterical (laughs) (laughs) well done what a story nice job Mm -hmm. well we've got more where that came from should we take a quick sponsor break and then get into my case yeah a medic Today's episode is sponsored by our amazing friends at Care Of. We love them so much. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders. I am obsessed with the powders. I use the matcha powder every Mm -hmm. day. 
conveniently to your door every month. Care-of also helps track your wellness progress through their thoughtfully designed companion app. I love a companion app. Care-of makes taking your vitamins on the go this summer so convenient with individual daily packs that are perfect for travel. You just stick them in your bag. You set it and forget it, baby. Care-of's daily vitamin packs are made with plant-based compostable film to help limit the impact on the environment without compromising on the quality and safety of their products. Love that. Yeah, and like Amanda said, their powders are so nice. Like They're yummy. Even when you're on the go, you just stop and maybe you get a smoothie, you dump your powder in, you shake it up. You're set for the day, baby. Mm-hmm. And supplements can be a huge support for how you feel and Care-of recognizes they're only a piece of the puzzle. Care-of just updated their app, their cute little companion app, with new features that help you build a holistic daily wellness routine and help you track your routine and whether it's working over time, which, newsflash, it's going to work because Care-of mm-hmm. makes it so dang easy. I love their little vitamin packs. They have little like prompts for the day, mm-hmm. like fun facts or quotes or like questions. It's just adorable. So we are we're here for care of. So for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50. That's for 50% off your first care of order. Go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50 and treat your wellness. Trade it. I know everybody's out there talking about back to school, but it's still summer, baby. It's August, okay? Who says you can't vacation in the comfort of your own home? Brooklinen is here to keep you cozy all summer long with their award-winning sheets and home essentials, and we are obsessed. Uh, I just changed my bed sheets this morning, Ugh. and nothing makes me happier than a fresh set of Brooklinen sheets on my bed. I am so excited to go to bed tonight. I just got another set off of my wedding registry. Oh, I'm obsessed you with that. Yeah. Brooklinen is the perfect way to build your own indoor oasis to escape the heat. They've got really light sheets. They're actually like very comfortable for the summertime and they have warmer sheets for the wintertime. You switch them up. They're going to be amazing no matter the season. The options are endless. So do yourself the favor of simplifying your shopping by bundling bed, bath, and both because they also have a ton of bath towels mm-hmm. and bath accoutrement. I have all the towels. Oh, the bath the the bath sheet. Yeah. It's enormous and it's very yep. thin. It dries really fast. It never gets that like musty smell. It's unbelievable. We love the bundles and you can save time and up to 25% when bundling your new favorite home essentials. And if you think you've heard of Brooklyn before, it's because you have. Mm-hmm. From us. From, because we love them so much. It's also the internet's favorite sheets. You've heard about mm-hmm. them on Wirecutter and Good Housekeeping. And they have uh, over 100,000 five-star customer reviews. So yeah, so if you don't want to believe us, you can believe over 100,000 yeah, other people. Yeah, absolutely. So do yourself the favor of switching mm-hmm. over to Brooklinen. Yes. So shop in-store or online at brooklinen.com today to give yourself the luxurious sleep you deserve this summer. Use promo code GALS for $20 off your online purchase of $100 or more, plus free shipping on brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and use promo code GALS for $20 off plus free shipping and treat your sheets. Trade it. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back 
to the way gone, way begone glamour, <laughs> far gone glamour of the 1920s with, oh. with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets and also decorate her garden while she's at it. That is one of my favorite parts of this game. I have a massive garden. It's amazing. (laughs) Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery, like Lucy said, set in the Roaring Twenties. You dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret. Okay. Customize your very own luxurious estate island, like we said, the gardening, baby. It is so beautiful. You can escape reality. Who doesn't want to escape reality right now and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker? Okay, if you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, this is for you. I'm on, I'm pretty deep in this game. Of course okay. you are. I love it. And I love to like race against the clock in the yeah. searching portion of yeah. the game. So they get the bonuses for like beating the clock. I'm obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay, are you ready for my case? Yes. yes. Well, they made love. They made love. <laughs> when I started my research for this case, I did what I always do, and I just like Googled the main character's name and got a Wikipedia page that I was so excited about until my bubble was immediately burst at the realization that this was just someone with the same name. Oh, but let I hate me that. read you Dang the it. opening line. <laughs> On who I thought okay. was my subject today. Okay, padding, <laughs> but good. No, I don't need This case is not short. Okay, Paddington Bear. <laughs> <laughs> this is legitimately not padding. I just want you to hear this and know why I was so sad that this case wasn't about him. <laughs> Quote, Paul Curry, August 19th, 1917 through February 19th, 1986, was the vice president of the Blue Cross Insurance Company of New York and a famous amateur magician who became well-known in the magic community for inventing highly original card magic. That's what I want in an insurance company is an element yeah. of magic. Yes. Performance. Highly original card Deceptive magic. Deceptive performance. Yeah, let me deceive you for my amusement. We're not going to cover your insulin, but here's this highly original card card match. <laughs> I mean, they are fucking scam artists, so mm-hmm. it's fine. <laughs> but sadly, the Paul Curry we're discussing is not a famous amateur magician. Amateur. Mm-hmm. But he was yeah, he was a well-liked, respected former Jeopardy winner. Smarty oh. pants. He won 60 grand in the mid-80s on Jeopardy. It's a lot. More than a hundo. It's a lot of fucking money. It's a lot of hundos. He was a super smart dude. He was a Mensa member. Mm. And uh, he was kind of a dick about that. Who is that? He wore- That's part of it, I think. It is part. It's it a requirement. It's totally part of it. I mean, Gotta you be have a to dick be a dick it. to, like, take the exam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do. Thousand percent. <laughs> Thousand percent. <laughs> right. He, he worked as an engineer with Southern California Edison in, the, in their nuclear power safety department. He met his lovely wife, Linda, who also worked at SCE in 1989, and they clicked instantly despite her being 13 years older than him. Ooh la la. Cougar. Yeah. She was 45. He was 32. 
their love grossed some of their friends out, to be honest. <laughs> Just because she was older? No. Oh, because they loved each other so much? Because of their behavior. Okay. Mostly, yeah. I already One- hate this guy. Can I hate this guy? Oh, yeah. Okay, because I hate he him. He sucks. Okay. <laughs> One close former friend, Mary Seabold, who Mary spills Every drop of tea (laughs) and everything I read was covered in Mary soundbites. I fucking love her. She tells half of my case. So just (laughs) welcome to the floor, Mary Seabold. (laughs) You're the fourth gal today. (laughs) So Mary recalled, quote, they would talk their little baby talk, their little nicknames. It was sickening. That, mm, yes. Team Mary. Mm-hmm. Cannot. She also noticed some red flags, which I'm not sure if she brought up with her friend Linda before Linda and Paul got married. But Mary said in an interview, quote, he thought highly of himself. There was no doubt about it. Oh, my God. I love her so much. Yeah, she's amazing. He liked to take over the conversation and kind of talk over her. And she would sit back and allow it because she liked showing his intelligence off. So Linda was kind of getting off on I've got this younger, hot, brilliant minded man in my life. Mm -hmm. And he dotes on me and we're obsessed with each other. Right. Insufferable. Yeah, the worst couple ever. That'd be bad. Yeah. The two married in 1992, but it wasn't wedded bliss for long. From CBS News, quote, and then there were the money issues. Paul and Linda had combined annual salaries of at least $140,000 a year, but Linda noticed that she had less money than ever. The reason soon became clear. Curry, Paul, was helping to support two ex-wives and three children, families he'd kept hidden from his now wife, Linda. Two secret families. secret families. Two secret families. Oh. This was obviously sus and not chill with Linda, who Sounds also- like a psychopath. Yeah, he sucks. Also, Linda had expensive taste, and she liked to spend her hard-earned cash, as well she should. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she also liked to sometimes spend the hard-earned cash of her partners. Okay. So Mary, the amazing friend we love, did describe Linda as, quote, a fashionista. She always had new outfits with shoes to match, purse to match, earrings to match, bracelets to match. She herself was, twi- herself was twice divorced, and one of her former husbands also reflected on her spending habits. And let it be known that, like, this guy that's talking about Linda actually remained a, a good friend of hers and okay. was, like, really good to her and in her corner through all of this. Okay. So definitely there is, like, misogyny here. It's like, oh, she she wanted to spend all of his money. But, like, she did... She made her own money, too, though. She made her own money. She spent it. And also, if her partner had extra money, she would spend that, too. So he said, quote, she would spend money. Yeah, for every dollar she made, she spent two. I used to go crazy. <laughs> so now we have a household where one spouse is funneling money to two secret families, and another is struggling to stay on top of some debt for a lifestyle kind of beyond her means. Right. Like, this is just a tale as old as time. So as if this story wasn't already reading like something out of the Nancy Grace playbook, Mary Siebold gets a call from Linda barely a month after Linda and Paul get married. And this is around the same time that these financial issues are coming to light. And so Linda's calling her friend. Mm -hmm. 
Mary says, quote, they'd been married maybe a month and she called me one night and says, you know, Mary, Paul wants to take out a million dollar life insurance policy on me. What do you think? Yikes. To which Mary said, are you crazy? Are you kidding me? Why would you do that? (laughs) I love Mary so much. He comes into this marriage with practically nothing, and she's got a beautiful house, beautiful furniture, beautiful clothes, wonderful circle of friends, Mary continued. And what is he bringing to the table? And now he wants a life insurance policy on her for a million dollars? Red flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to which I say, get you a friend like Mary Seabold. Absolutely. This woman was no bullshit. She told her friend exactly what needed to be said. Yeah. And is this is what a good friend does. A yeah. good friend tells the truth. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So while it appears that Linda is, you know, listened to Mary this time and was like, okay, I'm not going to go forward with this policy. She must have had some kind of doubts in her head, yeah. like red flags, too. You d- why would you right. ask your friend if you weren't like, can you confirm that this is fucking weird? Oh, yeah. no. She had doubts. We'll get to okay. it. So she listens to Mary this time, but the crisis is not over. What Mary didn't know was that Linda already had multiple life insurance policies in her name, not that she had gotten with Paul. One of her exes was the the, the guy who's still friends with her was an insurance salesman. Mm-hmm. So I think he added some policies for her while they were together. Like she bought policies mm-hmm. from him he, that are just for her and like her next of kin. Right. Not they weren't for him. Nothing sketchy. Mm-hmm. No, nope, her ex husband was on a lot them. of in on insurance. Correct. These policies amounted to well over a million dollars, and her new husband, Paul, was already the beneficiary on several of these so policies. So he wanted an extra backup murder policy. He didn't he want just everything. The, the standard, I want to be able to pay off the house if you die. Nope. He wanted right. a windfall. He, he finds mm-hmm. out that she already has multiple policies, gets her to put his name on a lot of them if you know, it didn't say all of them, but several of them. And now that he's not getting all of these policies, he's trying to get her to take out more mm-hmm. with his name on them. Mm-hmm. So her ex-husband, the insurance salesman, was continuing to look out for Linda's best interests. They'd stayed friends after the divorce. And he asked her to take Paul's name off of the policies. Mm-hmm. He said, quote, get them off. You need to change your life policy right away. So and that's he when, knew he was like this kid. This guy's not fucking around. He's yeah, probably. To- and it, and if he was, you know, somehow connected to those policies, then she may have consulted him, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. he may have gotten word that she had changed the policy because, mm-hmm. you know, he had a hand in getting her the policy. Yeah, I don't no, know. It makes he, perfect sense that he. Yeah, I meant he's like, don't do that. Yeah, this is not looking good. She responds, okay, I'll I'll put your name on it. I'll give it to you. And she says, he says, no, don't give it to me. Give it to your sister. Like, yeah. just your immediate next of kin family. Yeah. Don't put any of your mm-hmm. husbands or ex-husbands on it. And then the husband could contest it in court and be like, the insurance salesman put his own name. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So this guy, Paul, is like, I'm looking out for you. This is not the right move. Linda was suspicious of Paul. Or not, the ex-husband isn't Paul. The ex-husband is, a, is just the friend guy. Anyway, Linda's suspicious of Paul, but wants to make this new marriage work. She loves him. He hasn't tried anything. So... <laughs> yet. Yet. It's been like so two she's like, hours. I, right. So she reaches out to a friend named Frankie Thurber, who was at that time looking for a new place to live. And so Linda invites Frankie to move in with them. While she's living with them, while Frankie's living with them... Linda asks Frankie to keep an eye on Paul 
and see if she notices anything sus. Well, I will never understand when you have those suspicions. I'm not talking about like someone in an abusive relationship because like that is a cycle and like it makes sense why it can be hard to leave. But if you're not in that, if you're in this, if you're Linda and you think, I think my new husband of a month might be trying to murder me. I think she was in an abusive situation, but that it was psychological abuse and manipulation and not physical abuse. And that she was manipulated and very much like love bombed by him. Yes. And it. It just really clouded her way of seeing the situation. I think she felt pretty powerless as things progressed. I can also. So I hear. I totally hear what you're saying. I didn't mean and it I in like a victim blaming. I guess it just meant like it's confusing. How can you, you live with someone you think is trying to kill you? To kill you, and yeah. you're just sitting across the table from them and asking other people to to keep chat. an eye on him. I can yeah. also see how. They're very par- far apart in age. They're both mm-hmm. a little bit older. She's older. There's just like almost She's like, like a, this is my last chance. Like a, I want to make this work. Also almost like a cultural difference between the person that you're dating because he's so much younger than you. So it might just mm-hmm. be like, is it me or is he fucking weird? Yeah. I don't know. So she says to Frankie, do me a favor. Watch Paul and see if you think he's genuine with me and that he really cares about me. That's a great actually great thing to ask a friend mm-hmm. if you have any doubt yep and but so frankie does the wedding. right <laughs> so frankie does and says and that's when i started watching every move that he made basically now as we just kind of discussed i'm of the opinion and knowing what i know about this case that paul with a house guest who is a close friend of linda's keeping an eye on him turned up the charm and was on his absolute best behavior yeah. at this time. This is like a film. This has got to be like a movie. abusers can do. Yeah, exactly. This is set went, up like such a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what he went what? out of his way to cater to Linda's every need, treat her like an absolute princess and her friends who had once seen red flags were starting to see what Linda must love so much about Paul. Mm-hmm. He had a really so, good night. Yep. So Frankie went back to Linda and she said, quote, Linda, I I watched everything. I don't see it. He dotes over you. He loves you. He can't do enough for you. I don't know why you would be questioning that. Mm, Even our girl Mary was charmed. No way. Quote, he would prepare these exotic, wonderful new salad dressings as a test and then send her upstairs for a hot bath. She said salad dressings. That sounds cute. Yeah, I like that. Frankie was in awe of his attentiveness while she was living in their home. Quote, every night he would draw her a bubble bath. I mean, huge bubbles. I said, Linda, I would kill to have somebody draw me a bubble bath. Of course he loves you. (laughs) Which that would sell me. Bubble bath. Salad dressing. These bubbles. You've never seen bubbles. These are huge. (laughs) They're huge. I didn't personally craft each bubble. I've never seen bubbles. This the effort I could tell the effort that it took to turn on of that faucet he loves from you. the size of Glenda the, the Good Witch was in one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's a big part of me that's like, I would fall for this because I'm a sucker for a bath. But also, and salad dressing. I do love salad dressing. But also, and, and I'm men. saying this knowing <laughs> before Bill. <laughs> right. I'm saying this knowing that my dude my bill is an acts of service guy yeah so like this is totally something that he would do but if he started going like 
this hard for no reason every night drawing me a bath and making me it's fancy gross. salad dressing i would not after i moved in with you yeah it'd be too much mm-hmm. i would not i'd be like eh. my love language is whatever's the opposite of acts of service sure. acts of service leaving you alone nothing for me mm. <laughs> either it's too much and kind of weird and annoying yeah or it, it, yeah it's like you want praise for that that's your job that's like standard mm. Like, that's not an act of service to me. That is living your life, sir. Mm. Well, <laughs> and either way. All right. I, I just, it would be, Ouch. it would be weird. <laughs> I don't know if I would love it. But like, that questioning that Linda had of her husband would prove legit. And this is just a reminder to always listen to your gut, especially when your gut starts acting up so much, it puts you in the hospital. So just about a year into their marriage, in July of 1993, Linda is rushed to the San Clemente Medical Center ER with severe gastrointestinal distress. Upon arrival, she was in terrible condition, like visibly emaciated, Mm. really dehydrated, throwing up. Nauseated. It's bad. Like you in Boston. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I didn't emaciated. Have, I yeah, <laughs> I, I was not emaciated. <laughs> so they hooked her up to an IV to get her hydrated, as well as in administer IV medication to like reduce her nausea, etc. When the vomiting and stuff wouldn't subside, her nurse Sherry Bundy, see you, Bundy Bundy. <gasps> checked her IV bag and noticed the saline inside, which is meant to be clear, had a cloudy hue to it. The bag was removed and sent to their lab for analysis. Given Linda's condition upon arrival and the potential tampering with her IV bag, medical staff suspected poisoning. Mm -hmm. Linda's recovery was long and arduous. She spent 21 days in the hospital and nearly died from a stroke that she suffered while she was admitted. While they still couldn't pinpoint the source of her physical state, the results of the IV bag came back from the lab. The bag had been injected with lidocaine, Mm -hmm. which is a numbing agent, and the only way lidocaine could have ended up in the actual bag Mm -hmm. would be with intentional tampering. It's not like, because if they give an injection of anything, which they wouldn't be giving her a lidocaine injection for any reason that wasn't on her chart. But if they did that, there's a section on the tubing where you would do an injection and stuff doesn't like back up into the source bag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for the bag to get cloudy, Mm -hmm. someone would have to be targeting the The bag bag. and and intentionally injecting something into the bag. So the results were reported to the police and an investigation was opened. As is tradition, the husband is looked at first in these scenarios many times. And Linda herself was interviewed by police about Paul and many of these interviews were recorded. In an August 11th, 1993 interview, a detective, ah, birthday. A detective asked her, if somebody were trying to do something to you, if they were trying to poison you, any idea who would try to do that? And she responded, well, the only person I could think of that would have a motive to do it would be Paul. And the only motive I can think of is money. But I don't want to really even believe that or think that. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's literally what she said on tape. Oh, my God. Well, she tells it like it is. Yep. It's, it's probably like from my her husband, hus- but I'm in denial. But, but I don't want to believe fact. it. Mm-hmm. It's just like from her hospital bed. Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Or like shortly after she got released from the hospital in vitro veritas pretty much <laughs> despite in this alarming response <laughs> like IV bag. in no, vitro 
That's like in your, it's like you're pregnant. Intravena- Intravenous. It was funnier instead of in vino veritas. What's the plan for El Nino? <laughs> Despite this alarming response, there was simply not enough evidence to re- arrest Paul, and Linda remained convinced that Paul loved her and was caring for her. She returned to their shared home after being released from the hospital, and things were quiet for about five months. By December of 1993, Linda was back in the hospital, emaciated with severe gastrointestinal distress. Notably, Paul took her to a different hospital oh, than the why. one before. Probably to, to avoid serving at the first hospital, and mm-hmm. I'm on a list. Well, once again, her IV bag is tampered with, and nurses notice. Mm-hmm. Police are called again. The medical staff made it clear, including putting a sign on Linda's door, that Paul was not allowed in Linda's room unaccompanied. That's how convinced everyone was mm-hmm. that he was fucking with, because like the nur- a nurse went in to check on her as Paul was like leaving the room, and that's when she noticed that the IV bag was fucked up, mm-hmm. and he had been the only visitor. Yeah, oh and God. none of the fucking nurses yeah, so did it. Was it. Not a fucking mystery. No. Paul continued to deny any knowledge of the IV tampering or Linda's illness. When Linda sent her friend Mary, our favorite, to retrieve some clean clothes and toiletries from their home, Mary noticed something in Linda and Paul's bedroom. Quote, on the high boy dresser, as I walk into the room, there's a bunch of papers. Well, I just kind of glanced at them, but in big script writing, I saw the word life insurance in gold, and I went, (laughs) oh, life insurance. And then I went, oh, more life insurance. (laughs) Oh, they're all here. Mary they're all out on this high boy dresser amazing. on the top of it. I love her so much. In gold script. Oh, there's another life insurance. life insurance. But you can totally see exactly yes. what she means. She paints yep, a like, picture. Yeah, like the header. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now all the red flags are adding up to crimson. What? I mean, it's really red now, <laughs> she said. I love her. I love her so much. When she returned to the hospital, she confronted her friend. Quote, I'm asking her, did you have those things out, Linda? Is this something you were looking at? Well, she hadn't been home. No, not at all, she said. And I said, Linda, put it together. Put it together and let's talk about what's going on here. And Linda seemed to really hear Mary and agree in that moment that she needed to get out of the marriage and get out of the home. But then when Mary came back the next day, she said, Linda basically slammed the door on me. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or so, Quote, yeah. the next day, it was like the door was slammed on me. And she said, no, Mary, no, I can't. I can't leave Paul. And uh, I just can't imagine the desperation of her friends and loved ones yeah. that they must have felt watching her slowly die right before their eyes. And Paul has her so manipulated. Yeah. That she feels like she can't leave. It just breaks my fucking heart. Yeah. And so, the gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, police investigation can't find any solid evidence. There's no, like, forensic evidence that they can find or, like, CCTV that says mm-hmm. he's doing any of this. So right. he's not getting arrested. And Linda is, cho- you know, right. she has herself said, I can't think about that and I now love she's him. Sick and in the home under his care. Very vulnerable. Yeah, she's really fucking sick. So Linda was once again released from the hospital, and Paul was once again questioned but not arrested due to lack of evidence. Six months later, Paul called nine one one, claiming he awoke in the night to find his wife barely breathing. Oh, I really, I didn't. Oh. Mm-hmm. Despite valiant efforts of paramedics and medical professionals to save her, Linda was pronounced dead on June 9th, 1994. I didn't think she was going to die. I really hoped she wouldn't. But because of the previous hospitalizations and police reports, Paul was not able to stop an autopsy. Uh-huh. 
During the autopsy, pathologists discovered a suspicious mark behind her right ear that was consistent with marks left by a syringe. Ah, uh, right behind like her by- ear? Behind her ear, but like, oh, like down by your neck. temple or your like, uh, No, like vein. your neck. Like, yeah, yeah. exactly. But like hoping it would be hidden by like the mm-hmm. earlobe and hair. And, and hair, stuff. yep. Wow. Correct. And you could do it while they're sleeping. And- Funny you should say that. Sorry. Bonnie, you should say that. Her toxicology report revealed extraordinarily high levels of nicotine. Yeah. Her cause of death was ruled nicotine poisoning. Ew. Oh, her, God. her bloodstream contained levels that could not have been achieved by smoking or chewing tobacco. And Linda was not a nicotine user. She wasn't even a smoker? No. Mm. The toxicology reports also revealed the presence of a large amount of the generic form of Ambien. Uh, mm-hmm. At least she death- went well. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd hope, but she was sick for a fucking mm-hmm. the entire year and a half, two years of her marriage. That's mm-hmm. true. Her death was declared a homicide, but there was no evidence to connect Paul Curry to the nicotine, the sleeping pills, or a syringe. Who else had so- access to her when she was that sick? Fuck this guy. Well, oh, this is like the shittiest... Police response. That's some ever. bullshit. He's this a is white man. Enough circumstantial evidence. I, I completely think. fucking agree. I completely agree. And this was a gross miscarriage of justice. What happens here? So he can't be charged. He's not charged. Thinking he's about to get millions from his late wife's estate, Linda's sister Pat comes forward with a notarized letter from Linda herself that she had sent months prior. And the letter clearly stated Linda's intention to leave the majority of her estate to her sister and not her husband. Oh. She did leave him her house at about $419,000. So he didn't walk away with nothing, but he didn't walk away with the millions that he thought he was going to get. So maybe she sent that after she talked to her ex-husband who was like, don't fucking do that. Probably. Probably. And and her friend Mary. That's smart. Notarized letter in addition to the policy. Because she didn't want Paul to know that she's taking his name off of the policies or he's going to fucking lose his shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hope that worked. It did. Pat, Paul did not get the millions that his name had been on. This war, this held up in whatever court looks at this shit as a legal change of recipient of the estate. Mm hmm. And that Paul still, she did still commit to giving him their house. And she left him a policy of over $400,000. So he got something. Yeah. Shortly after, Paul was discovered at work as being a fucking fraud. A routine security check revealed a pack of lies in his resume. He was not an engineer (laughs) at all. And didn't he work at a nuclear, something nuclear? Yep. Nuclear power. He was not an engineer. He didn't even have a college degree. He was just a salad dressing expert. He was, a scam, he was just a scam, scam artist. Scam artist. It's Dirty John, but at a nuclear power plant. Pretty much. He's so a he was fired. Yeah. He was fired, and he spent through the money Linda had left him and let her beautiful home go into foreclosure. Oh, and my he, God. And then he left the state, and that was that. Years passed. Linda's case remained cold. Ugh. That is until Sergeant Yvonne Scholl of the Orange County Sheriff's Department, who is working in the cold case unit, inherited Linda's case from a retiring detective. And this case was cold for like a decade at this point. With fresh eyes, she started digging into Paul and she and her unit poured over Linda's insurance claims and also an insurance claim filed by Paul in the days after Linda died. Just days later. Days later. 
In that report, Paul claimed someone had stolen Linda's 18 karat gold ladies presidential Rolex and some other jewelry, and he wound up collecting a little over $9,000 on that claim. This was suspicious, but not enough to convict, so they sought the expertise of Dr. Neil Benowitz, a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and one of the country's preeminent experts on nicotine, specifically. Mm. He was familiar with the case, now a decade-plus cold, because he had been so shocked Mm. when this case was evolving to see nicotine poisoning as a cause of death at all, something even in his field of expertise he had never seen before. Yeah, yeah like, what would that even... a Google News alert set up for nicotine. Probably. But, like, what would nicotine... How could you get poisoned by nicotine without it being, like, here's straight-up nicotine? I think Literally. it was straight-up nicotine. It was more than she could have possibly had from smoking. Well, and even... Okay, so what's crazy is, like, there's enough nicotine in a pack of cigarettes to give you nicotine poisoning, but not by smoking or chewing it. If, if that it. shit's like ground up and in, and in, and like straight into the bloodstream and, and straight to the dome into your bloodstream, th- that's plenty to kill you. Mm-hmm. But like smoking a pack, chewing a pack or even eating it really like you're going to get sick, but like your body has more defenses with your gut health, like mm-hmm. all these other things that can get Ways filtered to out. Process it. But when it's straight into bloodstream your bloodstream, so you're too fucked. quick. So they knew that it was some sort of intentional poisoning, that this didn't yeah, happen. It was ruled a naturally. homicide. They just correct. It was ruled a homicide. They just couldn't prove conclusively pin it on Paul. Unbelievable. It could yep. have been a traveling nurse. Yeah, exactly. So it, 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 it's just so crazy. So this doctor is confident and ready to testify that this level of nicotine in the body could only have been achieved by intravenous injection and that death would occur within 30 minutes of administration. So given the timeline of Linda's death, Paul would be the only person with access to Linda 30 minutes before her death. And really what they needed to move forward with an arrest is for him to reconfirm and like say on the record that he had been Yes, there. I was the only one there. Because then that would really be enough to be like, well, we found this pinprick. This is the time of death. This is the timeline. You had to have done it. Mm -hmm. So this doctor also stated that the amount of nicotine in a single pack of cigarettes administered this way is more than enough to kill. All Paul would have had to do is go get a pack of cigarettes at the store and and like make the deadly injection, like just boil it down or, you know, make a tea a couple days before, soak it all in nicotine into a liquid and just fucking inject. My God. Yeah, so fucking creepy. Detectives determined that Paul had laced his special salad dressing that he liked to make for Linda with the off-brand Ambien. Mm-hmm. Linda had fallen asleep. She and loves walked- those salads. <laughs> loves those salads, baby. Salad dressing. Never eating salad Green again. goddess. It's for my health. It's for and my while- health. <laughs> Not I, I don't eat salad. It's for my it's health. It's too risky. It's for my health. <laughs> Linda had fallen asleep, and while she was incapacitated, he injected her with the nicotine. Sergeant Shull tracked Paul Curry to Salina, Kansas, where he had a new wife, a new son, and a new job working as a building inspector. Now his fourth family. And he was brought in for questioning. They played it smart, though. Okay, so they were like, if Paul knows, he's he's going to have to know we're talking about Linda's case because we have to ask him specific questions about that case. But if he knows that we're from Orange County and, and we that we found here. him in Kansas and we flew here to talk to him, he's not going to talk. Yeah. So they pretended to be like local Kansas police to give him the impression that they that don't know, they don't know a lot of the on. details. Correct. 
and they were like, we just need to do, we need to ask you a couple questions just to close this out. Are you willing to come down to the station just for like an hour? It's super cash. Soup's totes cash. And he's like, sure, I'll, I'll come down and talk to you. So he agrees to speak to them. And while they're chatting, he admits and reconfirms over and over again, because they're asking him follow-up questions, mm-hmm. that he had been the, excuse me, the only one in the home with Linda the night of her death. Mm-hmm. And Sergeant Shull is like, so nobody broke in. Nobody came by to visit. Nobody dropped off food or beverage. Like, Mm -hmm. she's asking all of these questions Mm -hmm. to be like, you're absolutely certain that from this time to this time, you were the only one in your house with your wife. And he's like, yes, nobody else was there. Which, like, idiot. Yeah. She'd have been like, I don't know. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. We might have had food delivered. Right. But he confirms that he was the only one there. And Sergeant Scholl is like, okay, cool. Well, I'm actually this sergeant from Orange County and I'm reading you your rights and you're actually fucking under arrest. And now he was arrested 16 years after murdering his wife. This sergeant whipped out her apparatus right there. Whipped it out. (laughs) The The jury jury was was impressed. (laughs) Wow. Awestruck. At trial, Paul's defense team tried to argue that Linda was giving herself nicotine enemas. Ew! And that's what killed her. Yeah, no. It didn't hold up. (laughs) That did not hold up. Like, while she was in the hospital? I I, I mean, at least in the time before leading up to her death, that like, oh, she was doing this as a... I don't know. Crazy Linda. A wellness treatment. Yeah, old Enema Linda. Classic <laughs> Linda. Well, back to the lidocaine. Was he trying to just poison her with a huge amount of lidocaine? Yep. He was trying to kill her in the hospital, and then it could be someone else's fault. Oh, my God. Not his. So his MO, it wasn't consistent. He wasn't using the same thing consistently. It was opportunistic. Wow. He had been poisoning her. Or no, he with- switched it up. He didn't, you know, if, if his... Wife got poisoned with the same poison at two different hospitals, mm-hmm. you know, but if it's a different poison, it's unrelated. I Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not 100% sure what was in the bag at the second hospital, but he was fucking with that bag. And what had been making her sick, most likely, was him poisoning her with nicotine and not getting his dosages right. Mm-hmm. And so I think and he, he finally, finally was just like, just I was like, I'm doing this. the whole pack or whatever. And I'm just like, really going to fuck this shit up. Or and she go for it. wanted her dressing on the side so she could control the dosage. No, no. <laughs> Did it have something to do with the huge bubbles? Probably. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe either he thought, way, maybe he thought, hey, I put enough ambient in this salad dressing. Maybe she'll pass out in the tub. Drown. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Either way, on September 30th, uh-huh. 2014, a jury found Paul Curry guilty on charges of insurance fraud and murder in the first degree with special circumstances. And he received the maximum sentence of life in prison without parole. Fuck you, Paul Fuck Curry. Fuck you. Wow. Also and that's my case. That this case had both of our birthdays. I know, right? So cute. Twinning. Twinning. Okay. Uh, Speaking of birthdays, I have to go take care of my baby who was born 10 months ago. Okay. You have one of those. (laughs) Hi, brain. That was a loose. That was a a big loop. Okay. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Cheers!